we have got to get rolling, guys, uh, because we are talking, we're taking, this our last sermon for a minute in the Sermon on the Mount. We're coming back, so don't worry, because you're like, we only got through, like, part of a chapter. That's fair. Um, but we are going to be coming back to it. But this is our last one for the month. We're going to take the month of March off, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But our series is called The Way, and we're exploring the idea that in this passage of Scripture, which is Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, we see Jesus is establishing the rules for his kingdom here on earth. And it's not about abolishing the laws of the Old Testament um, and Moses, but rather it's to fulfill the laws in the context of Jesus. So taking the laws to a more modern setting where Jesus and the sacrifice that he's about to make makes sense and how it would change the world for the better. It's taking us from not just what we do, but who we are, from our outside actions to our inside actions. So, but today specifically, we are going to be talking about justice. And justice is a word that a a lot of people have a lot of ideas when they hear the word justice. Maybe you think of criminal justice or social justice or something maybe like uh, someone who sits on the Supreme Court, a justice. You might think of a lot of different things. But the biblical word for justice in Hebrew is sudaka, which is most commonly translated actually in the American Bible as righteousness, which is interesting that a lot of other places around the world um, don't use this translation. They actually translate righteousness as justice. But in your Bible, it probably will say righteousness. And the church, when we hear the word righteousness, we think of all different kinds of things. Maybe you think of being a good person. Maybe you think of following the rules, doing the right thing. But the actual meaning of righteousness is to be in right standing with God and others. It's justice being in right standing, where participating in just relationships on earth, where no one is higher than anybody else, we're all on a level playing field, we're in just relationship, but also no one is in poor standing with God in our heavenly relationships. This idea of justice and righteousness, to be in right standing. Humans are designed in God's image, and I believe that that means at our core, we have God's call for justice in our hearts. We don't like seeing people treated poorly. We want things to be fair. We want things, people to be treated the right way. Except that sometimes we don't mind if people are treated the wrong way, right? I know that sounds harsh, but let's be real, okay? Um, We live in a world where we've seen our own vision for the world and not just God's vision, and that can be really tempting. So we have learned to exploit people treat people as if we're above them, maybe even take things from them. And even if we don't do these things, we are still benefiting from someone being oppressed, even if it's not by us. And we don't want to prevent the injustice. And I know that this can be a really touchy subject, so I want to give you an example by what I mean where I struggle with this specifically. Okay, because sometimes when we we hear the word justice, it can be really, it can inflame a situation. It's maybe got a lot of political ties right now, but I want to give you an example that I personally struggle with. Here it is. I love coffee. We all know this. It's a well-established fact in my life, but I love cheap coffee. Okay. I don't want to pay a ton of money for coffee. But there's a problem in the coffee industry right now, and that is a lot of big brands, which are able to be cheaper brands, use unpaid or underpaid labor and exploitation in order to farm their coffee. And 
here's the thing. I can either raise awareness of this and by sharing about it, talking to people about it, and spending my money on more expensive coffee where people were paid correctly for their labor, or I can keep my mouth shut and buy the cheaper coffee and it fits into my budget easier, right? It's a hard thing. And so that's what I'm talking about, the idea of justice. Sometimes we do live in a world where we'd rather not say anything because the system is benefiting us. And I know, again, this can get really touchy, but stay with me, all right? I'm, I'm right there with you. So on the flip side of this, we also have lost track of God's heart in the sense that we love revenge. Maybe that's just me. Maybe you're like, I don't love revenge, but come on, all right? We like reading books or watching movies where the bad guys get what's coming to them, right? I like that. Not just paying for their crimes, but inflicting it even worse upon them. It's beyond justice. It's revenge. It's personal. It's painful. And sometimes we love that. Not the not the God, made in God's image part of us, but the human part of us. We love seeing people get what we think they deserve. Maybe not what they actually deserve, but what we think they deserve. We love the idea of revenge. God saw this idea developing the hearts of, in the hearts of people. He saw this really early. We talked a couple weeks ago about Cain and Abel. We see this idea of this anger, maybe this want for revenge, this want for justice in our own eyes. But when he was delivering the law to the people, he took a moment to address it. And when we look at the story that comes right after it, we can see why he chose to address it. So we're going to be in Leviticus, Leviticus 24. And this is a story that about someone who blasphemes the name of Yahweh. And before I go any further, I want to give some context to the name Yahweh. The name of Yahweh carried a lot of power. They believed that even just speaking the name at the time could impact the world around you. It carried a lot of power. So even when they wrote it out on paper, they would take out all the vowels of the name Yahweh because they felt the the holy name of God was so powerful. And this person who we read in Leviticus 24 blasphemed that name. And it went beyond just cursing the name of Jesus. It says that he pierced the name of God. And now that's a metaphor, so we don't know actually what he did, but we know someone did something really, really bad to the name of Yahweh. And the punishment that God sends down for him doing this, whatever it was, was that he was to be put to death. Now, this seems like a lot, but before he actually gets put to death, so we have like the sentencing, and then we have this set of scriptures, and then we have the scene where he was put to death. God takes a pause to give this teaching to us. So I'm going to read it for us, and, and we'll go back through it. But this is Leviticus 24, verses 17 through 22. It says, anyone who takes the life of a human being is to be put to death. Anyone who takes the life of someone else's animal must make restitution, life for life. Anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. Whoever kills an animal must make restitution. But whoever kills a human being is to be put to death. You are to have the same law for the foreigner and the native born. I am the Lord your God. Some people might read this and think it's really harsh. And other people might read it and say like, yeah, that sounds pretty good to me. But a common misconception is that God was giving the Israelites, he, 
people believe that God here is giving the Israelites permission to get revenge. But this is not what God was doing. Here, this is God limiting the bounds of justice. He was making a clarifying point that this isn't freedom to just do whatever you want. This is saying that when someone offends you, God is saying the maximum offense that you can give back is equal to the crime that they inflicted. So it's called retributive justice. So paying back equal for equal, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, the same thing. It's not prescriptive here. It was an opposite. It was an opposition of the idea of eye for life. So the idea is God is saying you can't do eye for life. It maxes out at eye for eye. Does that make sense? So Jesus is putting a cap, or God is putting a cap here on the law. He's saying it can't go past this. And this idea again was to help establish this idea of retributive justice. But what's interesting is that God here is also, like, it's, it seems really harsh to, it's like someone just cursed the name of God. They blasphemed. Why is that person dying? Well, what's interesting here is, that, again, the name of God had so much power. It had so much weight. It was the only thing. The way the temple was designed, only certain people could go into the tabernacle. The temple wasn't officially built yet. But only certain people could go into the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies. And so there wasn't a broad, as- like a broad access to the Lord like we have now. But what everyone did have access to was the name of God. And so when someone tried to do something to lesser the value of that name, it was lessering the value and the access that everybody had to God. It was lessering the value of who God was. And so God was saying, this fits the punishment. The punishment of death is a, is a fair punishment because this inflicted everyone around them. By lowering the status, they took away access to God for everyone. They limited that access for them. So it seems really harsh, which is fair. But we're going to go into something l- later because you might be thinking, Emily, you said that this is going to be about the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, why are you forcing us to read Leviticus? And that's fair. But We're going to jump back into the Sermon on the Mount, but remember that Jesus is calling us to take the law past just our outside action, and he wants us to take it deeper into our hearts about who we are. Again, it's not just about what you do, it's about who you are. So we're going to go into Matthew 5, verses 38 through 42. And it says this, You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to anyone who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So, Some of you might read Jesus' words and think, yes, that's exactly what we should be doing. And some of you might be thinking, no, that only opens us up to exploitation and letting people walk all over us. But remember, the heart of God is that he wants justice and righteousness for all people in attitude and in action. And this section drives how Jesus was fulfilling the law here, driving us deeper into being the light of the earth and the salt of the earth. He was moving us from a retributive justice system, so paying back, like, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, into a restorative justice system. Restorative justice is more about repaying 
the crime, but it's about restoring the hurt that that crime has caused. It's about the heart, restoring the heart, not just paying back for what happened. It's about going that step further and restoring what was broken. And that cannot be achieved with a reactive spirit. Healing takes time. It's slow. And there's a humility that's required in being reactive. So when Jesus says, turn the other cheek, give them your coat as well. He's not saying, let everyone walk all over you forever. What he's saying is that you cannot be reactive in this situation. Because I'm trying to achieve a different type of justice. I'm trying to actually heal things. So instead of being reactive and saying, well, you hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you back. Jesus is saying, you hurt me, but I'm going to take a step back in this moment. I'm going to take a step back, and I'm not going to be reactive. I'm going to wait and try to find the restorative path of justice in this situation. And that is what Jesus is trying to say. It's a humility that's required in not being reactive. Now, here's a point where we're going to pivot for a moment. And it might seem like a shift, but I promise you, in theory, uh, that I will be able to tie all of this back up together in a pretty bow, I hope. All right? So, but be with me. All right, we're making a pivot. We're going to come back to this. So, in the month of March, we're taking a break from the Sermon on the Mount. And don't worry, we're going to come back. But I think it's best to understand this message and the messages in March. Um, we need to go a little further into what Jesus teaches here. So we're gonna f- I'm going to go a little bit further into the scriptures today than I was supposed to. And there's nothing that Daniel can do to stop me because I'm already on stage. So, <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to go into the next section. We're going to start in Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. And I'm going to read this section for us. It says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, if you're thinking that you could use a whole sermon on this, you're probably right. And we might get back to this specific section of scripture later. But again, we're taking a break for March. But I'm about to show you something that I think is really cool. And I I haven't met a ton of people who are bigger Bible nerds than me, but one of them has to be Jesus, which might feel like he's cheating a bit because he was a member of the Trinity, but I'm going to give him a pass, okay? Because the whole thing has been about establishing a new law by fulfilling the old law. So when we started in Matthew 5 with the Beatitudes, and then we went to the salt of the earth, and then we started in these little individual lessons, the whole thing was referring back to Leviticus, right? Jesus is trying to say, I'm trying to teach you to be the salt of the earth. Not just about the rules you follow. It's not just about the thing you do, but the people you are. And how the people you are will have an impact on the other people around you. And so in this section, he's referring back to Leviticus again. So I'm really sorry to do this to you again, but we're going back to Leviticus, okay? So um, we're going to go back to Leviticus 19. And if you look at the entire chapter, it looks like a bunch of individual laws. 
But if you read the chapter as a whole, you see this overarching theme, and it's about God standing, wanting his people to stand out as a people of unity. He's calling for wholeness. He wants his people to be whole in every possible way. Be whole in your character. Be whole in your physical appearance. Be whole in what you consume. Be whole in your devotion to God. Be whole in your love for other people. Whole as a means to be different from the people around you. But then he says something really interesting that I absolutely love. And that's what we're going to be reading. Leviticus 19 verses 33 through 34 says this. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This goes back to what we read in Leviticus 24 when he says this law applies to both foreigners and native borns. Again, God is saying this, you must also treat the people who are foreigners as native-borns, giving them the respect and love that you would give a neighbor or someone of your kind, someone of your people. God is calling us to do this already in the Old Testament, and then Jesus just drives this point home even further. Next month, we're going to be spending some time about God widening who is invited into the kingdom. He, we saw him do this in the New Testament. It wasn't just about the people of God in Israel. It's about anyone who would come to believe. And we're going to be looking around the world, around the country, and around our neighborhood and asking the question, is God's love deeper and wider than I think it is? We're going to be talking about the foreigners in every sense of the word. And this is where uh, this series, this sermon series ties to the next one. God wasn't calling his people to be whole in order to be separate. He was calling them to be whole in order to be whole, to be unified with all people. And Jesus, again, reiterates this. Both people, inside and outside, are to be loved and respected. But then we see that in Leviticus, right? Treat the foreigner as the native-born. Treat the foreigner as someone like you. But then we see Jesus take this even a step further. Don't just treat strangers like this. Treat your enemies like this. Love your enemies. God is wanting love and respect for all people, and Jesus makes it really, really clear here. And there's not a ton of things that Jesus was super clear on. He kind of liked, he loved open-ended questions. That was kind of his thing. But Jesus is really clear. Love your enemies. He wants a wholeness, a righteousness, and a justice of all people in God's heart. And when we have the same law and standard for the outsider, we have the same love and respect and mercy for the outsider as well. It's really hard to be merciful to a person that you don't know. It's really easy to not give mercy to people that you don't know. But when love is involved, we want all people to receive the grace and the mercy that we so freely received. I'm way more likely to forgive a friend for something than I am a stranger. Because I have love for them. And I know they've forgiven me for things as well. So this love and respect for all people only makes this challenge that Jesus gives us easier. So February is a special month in the United States because it is Black History Month. 
And there are so many wonderful black church leaders that we can honor and remember in this month. But one that the church often overlooks is one that the rest of the world often celebrates. And that's Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. What you might not know is that he was actually Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, there was something, he, he had a lot of flaws, right? Martin Luther King Jr. had a lot of flaws, But he also loved Jesus and scripture so much, it is incredibly hard to keep up with. If you read any of his sermons or his books, he is so intelligent and he knows the scriptures inside and outside and backwards. It is a challenge to keep up with how much he loved the Lord and loved scripture. And there's this book that was published, and it's a collection of his sermons called Strength to Love. And it's one of my favorite Christian books. And I actually gave Pastor Daniel a copy of this recently. So we've been talking about it a lot. And I was, as I was preparing for this message, um, I was going through the Bible Project podcast. And Tim Mackey is one of the main guys of the Bible Project. And he used this quote when in this context of these scriptures. And I wanted to, just because it was on my mind a lot, it just kept coming up, I wanted to share it with you all. So I'm going to read this for us. It says, The ultimate weakness of violence is that it is a descending spiral, begetting the very thing it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. Through violence, you may murder the liar, but you cannot murder the lie, nor establish the truth. Through violence, you may murder the hater, but you do not murder hate. In fact, violence merely increases hate, and so it goes. We have a next slide here. There we go. Returning evil for evil multiplies evil, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Love is the only force capable of turning an enemy into a friend. If we want to live in a world where restorative justice reigns, we need to stop focusing on the punishment of the wrongdoing in order to bring about justice. We need to focus on love, the love of justice, the love of mercy, the love of grace, and the love of others. As we work to bring about restorative justice in our world, it's not just about punishing the crime, but healing and restoring hurt and people in our relationships. And we can quickly be overwhelmed by that because what is our responsibility to take on? How will we fight off temptation for revenge? How will we fight off temptation for oppressing others in order to relieve pressure on ourselves? But I think the most useful tool when we're trying to change an action in order to achieve the heart of God is to meditate on scripture. And this is where I think it all ties together in a little bow because God is so clear about what he wants. And it's really hard, but it's really simple. And all of that lies in Micah 6, 8. You might've heard this verse before, but I'm gonna read it for us today. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Do justice, restorative justice, love mercy to the foreigner and the native born and to walk humbly, not in a reactive sense. Walk humbly, have patience. Let God walk before you. 
walk humbly with your God. So as the band comes back up, I want you to reflect on these words of Jesus's in, of Jesus in the Lord's Prayer. We're in, we're in the last moment of our time in the Sermon on the Mount for a while. But Jesus gives us a prayer, and we've been praying it a lot recently, and I want us to read it all together out loud. But really meditate on the words that God is saying. Think about what God is calling you to. This heart of restorative justice, not of revenge, not of what people deserve. It's about what God is freely giving. So let's, let's put this up on the screen and we'll read it together. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debt.